Hi, Tim Ash here. Uh, I'm an expert on evolutionary psychology and digital persuasion, uh, as well as a keynote speaker and best-selling author. Today, Dove and I go crazy and we cover everything from altruism to autism to philosophy to tribalism to the only hope that this planet has for survival. You're going to hear it all, so stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to part three of my fascinating interview with Tim Ash, the author of Unleash Your Primal Brain. We're going to jump back in in a moment. But before we do, before we jump in there, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you in part by MagCast. Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would that do for your authority? Whether you're a coach, a content expert, or an emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what if there's a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and professional status in the eyes of your market and to do so all at once? This is your way to going from being invisible to getting meetings with anyone. Find out more by going to magcast.com, uh, .co rather. That's M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot co, C-O, where first-time publishers create thriving magazine businesses. All right. As I said, we're back for part three of our conversation with Tim Ash. He is the author of Unleash Your Primal Brain. This is a delicious conversation. We're having a lot of fun here and we're going into some pretty wild, wonderful and wacky individuals. So uh, things, let's, let's, <laughs> let's go back in, Tim, and, and talk about this from a point of view of... Um, first of all, I guess I have to ask... You know, when people are looking to evolve, we're always looking to feel like we're better than that we were or than our predecessors were. Why would we want to unleash our primal brain when we think about the primal brain as this screaming lunatic who's trying to take down the hairy mammoth, <laughs> the woolly mammoth? Uh, well, so let's forget. Uh, so first of all, because that's where we operate from and to deny that is to, to disenfranchise a huge part of yourself and not yeah. bring it to life okay so that's that's one answer the other is yeah like the, this notion of the primal brain being some cro-magnon caveman um the point is that evolution well you know you can talk about neuroplasticity you can talk about epigenetics and how we can transmit stuff to across generations through you know genetic material but for grossly speaking, um, evolution has stopped. I mean, before we drive off the cl cliff of the sixth, um, you know, climate extinction event on this planet, there's not going to be any significant evolution. Even though it happens quickly, you know, we can have alcohol resistance genes, uh, lactose tolerance genes evolve in thousands of years, which is really fast. But still, you know, over the, your lifetime, or you know, like I said, before the planet burns. Um, there's not, evolution has stopped. So we evolved through millions of years. Here we are. And being, being better aware of that is really the, the, the goal because there's not going to be significant evolutionary level change. Um, certainly not in your own lifetime. You're here. You're your genes. Um, so I'd say we have to actually go back even further than the caveman days because we owe a huge debt to all life on earth which started about three and a half billion years ago. And brains came around half a billion years ago. I mean, and, you know, so we, we kind of anthropomorphize stuff and we make it sound like it's uniquely human, like, 
oh, oxytocin, that's the love, you know, neurotransmitter or, and, and this kind of stuff. Well, no, it's the mammals bonding with their babies and keeping strangers away to protect them. So it's a two-edged sword. It's not the love drug. You ever seen an enraged bear protect its cubs? Nothing love about that, right? Mm. So it has, the point is it has survival value and that's why it works. Or, um, you know, we can talk about dopamine. Everyone's like, oh yeah, dopamine's the reward chemical. And, well, yeah, the dopamine is there to basically figure out how to meter energy. Is this worth spending energy on, number one, and updating the model of the world and whether it's accurate. Now, all life needs that. So to say that's like some human thing uh, is wrong because we share it with fruit flies, with freaking insects. Right. So these are, they're these base layers to the brain that are shared with all life. And you only put little band-aids and fixes and adjustments on top of them. And, um, but we, but all of that older stuff still operates most of the time. Yeah. I think that, uh, we really have this idea that we are so much quote better and again, we're back to othering, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's arrogance, then. nothing else. Right. And so, but, you know, we know even at a DNA level, yeah, there's not much difference between you and anything else, really. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, you know, the single cell amoeba, maybe you have a bit of difference, but, you know, by the time you're getting to even earthworms, there's not that much difference between you and a mouse. Um, and so, you know, that we get into a whole different subject area outside of the brain. We get into epigenetics, we get into morphogenetic fields, we get into all these fascinating areas. Um, but when it comes to the brain, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, bring up here, and it, very interested in your point of view, which is the other brains. So the, the gastro brain, uh, the, mm. uh, the, the, the heart brain, um, the, the resonance fields of those things, the, the uh, neurons in the gut, the neurons in the heart, um, the, the vagus nerve, the communication between mm. the, different, the different brains, the, the, the different brains in your head, uh, which is reptilian, mammalian, you know, et cetera, uh, the different parts of your brain that's stuck inside of your coconut, and then the brain that's <laughs> in your heart and the brain that's in your gut. Talk to us about what you found out about those and how okay, that all. So, so my, my focus in the book was been on let's call it the central nervous system or the kind of traditional brain, if you want to think of it that way. Cool. Uh, but uh, everything I've seen is that a lot of our lives are determined by our gut biome, for example, the yeah. microorganisms that live inside of our digestive system, and um, that can happen. Obvious things like whether we gain weight, the kind of foods we prefer. Well, certain bacteria like to break down sugars down there, and so mm -hmm. they make you eat sweet food. Literally, you're their little slave. Yep. <laughs> you know, got to get some sugar. Um, but the, those things can also have an, a huge impact on your emotions. The, the point is, even if we think of the brain and quote unquote the rest of the body, is a two-way communication. Yes. You know, so it's it's not like the brain is some puppet master. A lot of what acts on the brain are chemicals produced in other organs of the body and that are transported to the brain and then it gets information that way. So the body is a unified organism. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's not, you can't just 
kind of break it apart into physical parts and understand those relationships. It's just like uh, in software testing, I've done a bit of that back in my day. You know, there's something called like unit testing. There's this little modular procedure or piece of code and you can test how it works on the inside of it. Once you start putting it together with other units, you know, then you have to test their relationships and the interactions and the possibilities become so numerous that it's impossible to exhaustively test all of that. So we can talk about it as individual organs, but the fact is it's a, it's a very, very complicated business with lots of subtle communication among brain areas and from the brain to other organs. Well, part of, part of that, you know, even in the context of the singular brain, as in the one inside of the head, um, you know, part of that and, and the myth of that is you and I had talked about in a previous conversation is this myth that your left brain or your, Oh yeah. Brain, the left brain, right brain bullshit. Yeah. Right. So, so talk to us a little bit about that because I think that that's one of the great myths of the brain, you know, well, I'm a right brain person. And it's like these people who say I'm very rational and you're very emotional. And mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, you're so not getting this. Yeah, yeah. The so, fact so is, talk to us about that myth. Yeah, so there's a so the again the, the one hemisphere is supposed to be creative, the other one's supposed to be logical. I mean, just these really simplistic binary things. The fact is, there's this super highway between the hemispheres called the corpus callosum. Yes, I think of it as like a twenty lane freeway, and it's just shuttling information back and forth all the time. I mean, you do not want to sever that. No. <laughs> uh, so you know, th there is no left and right brain. There are some areas where within the cerebral cortex there's kind of a functions that exist only on one side or are favored on one side but that's that's so far from this cartoonish version like you say that people think of so if we want to kind of dig down into the anatomy of it and the structure even the bias of saying we have a left and a right brain that's all the new part of the brain the cerebral cortex right mm -hmm. underneath yes. that is what's called the limbic system or the emotional brain that we share with all mammals and underneath that is the brain stem which we share with uh, reptiles and even earlier forms of life and, and so the roughly speaking the function of the lowest part of the brain the brain stem is to keep the lights on and what i mean by that is like Maybe you're an advanced yogic practitioner, but you probably weren't thinking about keeping your heart beating while you slept last night, okay? Not but so much. Something was, and that was your brainstem. Okay, yeah. digestion, again, no instructions necessary. First of all, a lot of that happens on its own down there and the parts that are regulated by the brain, controlled by the brainstem. So that's survival level stuff, breathing, eating, and reproducing, because that, that part's also mm -hmm. the one that's gonna react to uh, mating opportunities yep like that's the most important thing for life to continue mm -hmm. so there's a mating opportunity this really really primal level takes over you know and it's shown that men in particular become risk takers for mating opportunities they throw caution out the window in the presence of a mating opportunity they become much less rational if you will um, <laughs> Then there's the middle part of the brain. That's the part we share with all mammals. And so if you can think of the survival level stuff as maintaining kind of a homostasis in terms of hunger, pH balance, dehydration, all of that stuff, waking versus um, being um, alert or asleep rather, then the middle part of the brain is what got added with the mammals. When we started, there's kind of two forms of life, individual life, 
and group life. And so like a reptile goes, lays its eggs and walks away and then the eggs hatch and then to survive on your own, be a good little crocodile, right? right. Um, and then the mammals, they have to actually care for their young and they have to group in herds to do that. So they're individually often weaker, but they have an advantage by being in the herd. And so they need kind of different chemicals to uh, update things within the tribe, to have memories that allow them to go towards good things versus bad things. So that's why memory is very strongly tied to strong emotions. They only remember the stuff that matters for survival. Whereas again, the base brain doesn't care about that at all. It's automatic. I mean, if, if you put your finger on a hot stove, you're not going to say, hmm, that's an interesting smell emanating from the tip of my finger. No, no you're just going to pull your hand away, right? And um, that's automatic. Whereas, huh, did that coconut taste good? That's a learned response and it has yes. to be remembered. And so uh, mammals have memory and emotions. That's what got added to it. And like I said, the new part of the brain, the newest part, was largely an overlay and is, exists in other animals, obviously, but is much bigger in humans to model the social dynamics of our tribe and for mm -hmm. cooperation and culture spread. So when you think about those things, um, so, you know, we've, we've gone through the, the fact that the brain is actually fully connected to every other part of the body, that there's a, it, it, it's a, a symbiotic uh, interaction, one's not better, um, and the, the brain itself is broken into three parts. You also said that you feel like we've stopped evolving. And I want to push back a little bit about that and say, how do you know? And what I mean by that is because will 10,000 years from now, provided we've not destroyed everything, including ourselves, but 10, 20,000 years from now, will we look back and say, you know, there was a, this micro change is the change that has given us into a higher form. Because I don't, you know, I mean, I think that, trying to uh, recognize evolution when you're in it is a pretty challenging thing to do, wouldn't you say? Well, okay, so to be fair, at the level of traditional evolution, mm -hmm. actually it's speeding up. So right. we haven't stopped. The reason I say we stopped evolving is just to give people this, this like to put on the, the brakes real hard and say, you know, that there's nothing profoundly different from you and your cousins in East Africa 200,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's the point. You know, and um, so there, there, we, you know, with cultural packages we spread, the amount of intelligence we have is slowly evolving. You know, we have jaws that because we're eating more refined foods are getting smaller. That's why people have to have their wisdom teeth pulled. I mean, that kind of stuff's happening on the time scale of hundreds of years. Yes. Some things are evolving away. Our sense of smell is dying because, you know, those our sense of smell is the only sense that's directly connected to the brain without going through the blood brain barrier. Yep. And we needed to tell whether food was rancid and we're going to die by eating it. Right. Mm -hmm. and now that we don't have bad food and are as likely to die from something that smells wrong, our sense of smell is getting much less keen. You know, so, so thing, those things are happening, like I said, on the time scale of thousands or even hundreds of years. But my main point was that, 
most of what we're using to survive in, in the really bizarre cultural civilization we find ourselves in was evolved on the plains of Africa hundreds of thousands of years ago or hundreds of million years ago in our, in our ancestors. Yeah, I get and that's, it. So I find more value in that durable part than talking about, you know, some refinements that might happen, like I said before, I suspect we drive off the cliff of planetary right. extinction here pretty soon. And also, you know, and this is something that uh, Noe Yuval Harari talks about, is we're going to get augmented. This is the last days of genetically non-engineered, you know, so tomorrow you're going to have a hologramic, holographic, you know, uh, suppository in you that does whatever and augments your life. You know, we're going to become cyborgs. We're going to be bred with certain genes or gene genetic therapies that are already right here on the horizon. So there won't be regular humans. This is really the last days of regular humans. And I'm trying to leave this postcard from the past saying this is how we were in you know, 2020. You know, and, and in effect, it's, it's, it's frozen in amber. That, that's basically my point. But it, it's also interesting, isn't it, how, I mean, we, I find this the very interesting dynamic between, about human beings is this incredible hunger we have for learning and growth and knowledge and, and at the same time, this, you know, that propulsion to, to know more and at the same time, this fierce anchor to not changing. Mm -hmm. No, so it's 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 in and and it's, well, not not to not changing, but to conformity. I would say that. Well, well we it, don't we don't. That's yeah, we're, we're not willing to look at certain things because they destroy too much of the cultural bedrock that we're anchored to. That's how I think of it. Anyway, that's well, yeah, right, and that's a that's a fair point. Um, but let's just talk about it in the context of what you just brought up, which is augmentation and cybernetics. And for that, even uh, genetic um, augmentation, as well as uh, interplay with technology. Sure. We're already augmented. We wear glasses. That's an augment. Right? Yeah, I, I had LASIK done, to, so I wouldn't have to wear glasses. But, yeah, but, it's, but it, yeah, And even that, right? Each, each of these things are an augmentation. Uh, and, and that we take, we don't look at them and go, oh, that, you know, I'm a cyborg because I wear reading glasses. But your great ancestors might. Um, so does this, you know, this, it seems to be like two tribes and one tribe is like, yeah, I can't wait to plug in. Um, this is, this is a very interesting lady here. Um, and I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, Dr. Susan Gildert, and she's doing some amazing work with, um, sidelining consciousness. And she's building what she calls synths, um, in which she's looking to move her consciousness over to the synth, uh, which is immortality and all that. Yep. Uh, and now we're into I, I've seen that science fiction movie many times. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this she's actually in the process of doing some pretty interesting things, including talking about cybernetic rights. I mean, she's a fascinating, fascinating. Or, or there, or right now they're growing brain cells and little brain organelles that are starting to have, you know, functional changes in them and starting to behave in a certain way, just growing brains, essentially. Exactly. And on, on, so that's on one side. And on the other side is this, as you said, this cultural 
bedrock of uh, uh, restriction which says this is morally wrong and this is it, it's I mean it certainly needs I don't know about morals but it certainly needs some ethics around it um, yeah. but um, and that we you know we shouldn't play God and blah 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 it's yeah, it's very it's interesting for me to look at like that, that in evolutionary I really want to know what you think about it from that point of view mm, um my personal take is that the our our knowledge is outstripping our wisdom oh that's very yeah and that uh, there's there's data there's science there's things we're learning there's things we can do you say i mean we had this debate you know more for our age group it was like should we clone dolly the lamb right should you yeah. clone life you know we're like way beyond that apparently because uh i understand there's some uh, black labs that are actually trying to clone human fetuses, you know, so. Well, uh, actually, just to be clear, there yeah. is pretty strong evidence that that's already been done in yeah. China within the yeah, last few I wasn't going to name names, but yeah. Uh, I'm okay with it, right? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so, so, you know, there's, so there's, but my point is that was a debate that was had 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and we seem to have moved on and it's kind of acceptable now. And, and so things are kind of normalized. One other thing, just psychologically, it's really, really hard to take back something that's been done, something that becomes a reality or an entitlement, right? Which is why it's uh, so hard to undo certain political entitlements. Once people get used to them, it's like try taking it away from them, right? Mm. And so what's happening is things become technologically possible and people start doing them, but then we realize after the fact that ethically it's the wrong thing to do too late. The genie's out of the bottle. So again, my overall perspective on it is that we're, yeah, it's more like, you know, Icarus and we're, we're, we're flying too high, that uh, our data, our science, our knowledge is outstripping the wisdom to deploy it properly. And these things are all becoming so accelerated. I mean, I remember reading Alvin Toffler's Future Shock. That was in the 70s, yeah. I think, when yes. he wrote that book, you know. It's talking about the acceleration of the acceleration of knowledge, you know, and it's, he, man, everything he said is, has come true in spades. Um, but, you know, the, we, we don't know how to handle it. We're just, everything's impinging on us. We have the attention span of a lit match. You know, it's, it's today's news cycle. It's like, oh my God, there's all this stuff, or I want to read this book even. The fact that my book is in book form, that's the people don't have the attention to read books anymore. You know, they, they want the blog post, they, they want the 30 second video, you know, so there's just so much data in the world that we can't keep up with it. And so to think that we're going to make some kind of wise, ethical, informed decisions in the middle of that onslaught, I don't think is realistic. And that's what I fear the most is a bunch of unintentional little atoms colliding or individual interactions between people are going to lead to completely unpredictable effects that are going to make the whole thing but that's but that's why tim i think that we are uh, when i say evolving um i don't necessarily see that as a positive context yeah thank you for uh, that reframe because i think it's a completely you know i think we are changing and some of that may be positive um but we don't bother to question things and we don't uh, and as you said, once the genie's out of the bottle, the genie's out of the bottle. There's not much you can really do about that. And the yeah. challenge for me that is that, you know, when I look at 
uh, I'm very interested in futuristic stuff. And, uh, you know, aside from being a sci-fi fan, you know, I'm Same also... Here. I can't uh, wait for the release of Dune, by the oh way. Oh, my God. I'm going to make a good movie out of that. Oh, my God. It's, the, it's my... I'm, I'm throffing at the mouth. <laughs> but aside from that, aside from that, you know, when I look at where we are, um, and I think that coronavirus and what's happened with the pandemic is such a foreshadowing because we are having to be more and more remote. Um, and as we, you know, schooling has become more remote. Some of those things are wonderful and excellent and fantastic. But my challenge with it is, is that I understand that human beings are primarily social creatures. We I have to have social we have I to call have the last part of my book hypersocial. That, right. That's how important it is. We're hypersocial, we're not just social. But, but the challenge I'm, I'm seeing, mate, is that I don't know whether we're pushing ourselves out of that. So what I mean by that is, does my social group become a holographic group inside a holographic room um, with... Um, potentially three uh, augment or holographic versions of people who are in the world and another 20 people who are non-existent but are generated by a computer for mm -hmm. me to interact with. And so I'm being social with augmented or... With avatars. Manufactured, manufactured, well, not even the avatars, but manufactured avatars. So not mm -hmm. the, just the avatar of that person, but the manufactured avatar and I'm, that is, if I say, what is my concern? My concern is the understanding that all of the downsides of the tribalism and the uh, xenophobia and all the things we talked about at the beginning is the dark side of that. But the light side of it is everything that's made us better as human beings is the ability to not other, the ability to see others in myself, to connect, to travel to Thailand and sit down with a person who I've never met before and learn something about them, even though I don't speak their language and watch their culture and, and their interactions and actually have the deliciousness of their, of their culture and their, their experience. That's my concern that we're evolving ourselves out of that social or that hyper-social need that we have. Well, again, at an evolutionary level, I'd, I'd probably argue with you. I don't think we're Good. evolving anything at, the, at that speed, but uh, the fact that we're social is undeniable. Um, I, I want to share something. So I went to high school near Philadelphia. You know, it has that famous art museum. You've seen Rocky on the steps of it. But about a quarter mile away, there's the penitentiary. Now, you've heard this word as opposed to jail or, or something like that. And this was built in the early 1800s and is this bizarre panopticon where the guard sits in the middle and there's these long spokes radiating out so you can see the different cell blocks just by turning around and looking. And each of those cell blocks had individual cells and they kept people in isolation. And even going outside, they had a walled in little 10 by 10 courtyard on the, off the back of the cell. They never saw another human being. And they insulated the pipes so they couldn't bang on them and communicate with each other. And the whole idea was kind of a religious one that people aren't inherently bad. 
that they were influenced by bad things and that's what made them into criminals. So if you leave them in the cell with the Bible and they'll return to their true nature and their goodness. And that worked out well. Huh? <laughs> Not so much. Not so, so much. I uh, mean, you know, so basically people went insane from isolation and you still see this, which is, to me is like the most disgusting cruelty of these maximum uh, security prisons where they keep people caged up 23 hours a day the lights on all the time and then they wonder why they all go insane you know it's just it's inhumane um so you know we're such social creatures that the worst thing you can do to us is so isolate us and we're seeing evidence of this during the pandemic with domestic violence with mental illness with suicidality depression i, I mean i'm experiencing it with my own two kids or teenagers in the house sure. here you know it's not a pretty picture when you isolate people so there's only so much virtual stuff you can do. And yeah, it's better than nothing. Uh, I think I mentioned to you on one of our conversations that I, I went through an initiation through the Mankind Project, which yep. is a wonderful international organization to help men be more authentic. Um, and I sit in a, in a weekly group with one of my local uh, groups uh, in San Diego, and we had to go to virtual. Now we're all like, God, we can't do that same stuff we do in a physical group and you know what it's 85 percent is good in terms of the psychological support that we're getting and offering each other but that 15 percent matters being able to give someone a hug smelling that sage as you're burning it looking outside at the moon or looking up at the moon you can't you can't replicate that through zoom meeting and so i think we still need to make the take the time to connect physically as much as possible. There's, again, part of being primal is the basics, sleep, which is super critical. Being outside, hugging your family or your cats, you know, there's no substitute for that. We're wired to be physical embodied beings. And if we don't get that part, just living in our heads or in our brains isn't enough. Well, that's what I'm saying about where I'm concerned and interested <clears throat> is because I know that about us. I know that from my own research and just watching, I mean, there's amazing stuff around touch, the research around touch and what happens inside the, inside the brain, what happens inside the body neurochemically. Yeah, All 20 kinds of seconds, you're releasing oxytocin by have skin-to-skin -skin yeah. contact. So hold those hugs, please. Yeah. Exactly. And at the same time, is the pandemic training us to be isolated, fearful, othering? Um, you know, because before we were othering of people who were on the left or on the right, we were othering, othering people who were a different color or a different language. Now we might be othering people who cough. You know, um, I'm really concerned about this. I, I you know, I realize that I'm what I'm saying there. I, I am genuinely concerned about this. Yeah, and it's not just the social isolation um, as the that's an important component of it, but um, there's also the fear part, the uncertainty, not knowing when this is all going to end. And you know, I think that um, in 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 the Mankind Project group that I meet with, you know, one guy showed up a few weeks ago. I think I would share this. And, that I'm not depressed, but I'm depression adjacent, <laughs> which I thought was a great term. I've, been, I've borrowed it several times, you know, but there's, it feels like there's this wet blanket, this heaviness that sits on the whole world right now. And there's this 
synchronous moment where it, you know, it doesn't matter what you do for your self-care or to keep your spirits up, whether you sleep or walk or eat properly. You know, there's, like you said, there's these subtle connections and we're connected to every other thing in the biosphere of this planet. And we all feel it. And it's like this, this depressive weight right now. There's no getting away from it. And it's interesting because at a brain level, where does that push us? What parts of the brain does that put us into? Well, one of the things that they've shown is that if people become less social, the empathy actually goes away. Mm -hmm. So you become more selfish. Right. You become more money-driven. You're not as willing to help other people. All of these things have been observed. So that's an effect of isolation. So we're, we're kind of getting to away from an empathetic connected state and towards more what's, you know, how do I get by? Screw you. But again, back to the conversation we had before, which is that then people would say, well, isn't that my primal brain? No, the primal brain, especially in humans, is highly cooperative. There's exactly. That's the point fairness. I want to drill home yeah. for everybody. Yeah, no, no. The, the, I mean, we're, we're, um, we want to cooperate. We want to be helpful. There's a payoff of altruism, you know, that has it. If people are like, well, why would anyone do something selfless? Because actually uh, our individual survival depends on our group cooperation. So we're designed to be cooperative. And so selfish, being of service to someone feels good. Yeah. Again, my personal mission statement is I create a world of peace, safety, and love through joyous expression and service. And that service part is huge. That's what made, that's when I know I'm on my purpose and living my mission. So um, that, that kind of connection is our basic state. It's to be antisocial or to be out for yourself is actually the outliers. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, part of my purpose is to serve those who will never know my name and whose name I will never know. Um, right on. So that word service is in there again. Yeah, and that's why I said it, right? Because the, it's, I know that when I walk away knowing that I've served in some way, shape or form, the, the, what I call the soul evolution of that person, um, that I fulfilled my purpose and that may or may not have put money in my bank account, but I want that to be every interaction. And I'm disappointed in myself when that's not the interaction. I'm disappointed in myself when I've been rude to the server or the, the person in the store or the person who passed me on the street. Or, or just ignored them. Yeah. Or, or, and again, you know, um, I actually use all the time and believe in the power of I see you. Yes, like what we were talking about in the other part, you know, that that being seen and is the highest form of validation, the most basic need we have. And by the way, I mean, sight is, by the way, one of the most powerful senses we have, obviously, about half the brain in various ways is devoted to processing visual information. But one thing that I, I like to do periodically, especially when I'm out in public, and especially now with masks on, make eye contact, don't flinch, don't look aside. You will connect to the humanity in that person. And now eyes are becoming more, more than uh, ever. not primal, but primary because the rest of the face is behind a mask. And it's just beautiful to see people's eyes right now. 
Yeah, I just, uh, I wrote a post recently and I did a video about it and about talking about what, it was when the mask thing really sort of took off and I walked into a store and I, this woman had a head scarf on and she had a mask on, uh, you know, and the only thing I could see in her eyes was fear. And it was like, you know, I was in a great mood. It was the beginning of spring <laughs> and the weather was nice and the sun was shining and, and I didn't have a mask on because it wasn't mandatory. And she looked at me and, and uh, you know, with othering, you know, yeah. and, and fear and, and I'm like, wow. So that eye contact and I, I'm actually saying to people all the time, please make eye contact. It's so smile with your eyes. It, just because your mouth doesn't show it, your eyes mm -hmm. do. We all recognize a real smile versus a fake one. And it's because of the eyes, not because of the mouth. Yeah. We got to finish this section. We got to come into our fourth section. We're coming into the home stretch. And I really want to thank you, Tim. This is an amazing conversation. Love where we're going. And for you, dear listener, come on back in a couple of minutes. We're going to get into the final part. And in this next section, in the fourth section, we're going to do a little bit of the mastication round where we get to chew on some crazy ideas and uh, we get to ask, uh, we get to ask Tim some bizarre questions and see where he goes before we finish up. All right, so we will be back in two for part four of my con delicious conversation with Tim Ash, uh, who is unleashing your primal brain.